I would like to start with a profound statement that will support you throughout the retreat. If you take it to heart and really stay close to this insight and this realization, you are here. That's it. Sorry if it wasn't as profound as you hoped. <clears throat> but you are here. And of course your body is here always. Where else would it be? What's often not here in terms of <clears throat> how our mind seems to work is our thoughts and concerns are often elsewhere. And in a sense, our thoughts and concerns can be about there, other times, other places, <clears throat> there and then. And a practice like this is a journey for the mind to go from there to here. So that your mind is in the same place as your body. <clears throat> And it's not a matter <clears throat> it's not a matter of <clears throat> having your moving your body to there if you're thinking about tomorrow or yesterday, someplace else besides IRC. It's a task of somehow finding your mind here are recognizing that the mind is here. That even if you're thinking about other times and places, there's a lucid way, clear way, of recognizing that those thoughts are also here. In a certain way, everything is here. in our direct experience, what's happening here in our body and mind. It's all here. And to recognize here, that's the door, that's the the entry into the Dharma and it's the entry into ourselves in a deeper and deeper way. So you are here. And sometimes when I practice, I'll just very gently say to myself the word here. As a simple reminder to be here with whatever might be happening. To be here with a kind of clarity about this is, this is it. Where I'm not caught up in or lost in or even reactive to what is here. But to be here And in the here, you will be aware. It's the nature of our being to be aware. Here. And what is the natural awareness and presence that comes when you allow yourself to recognize, allow yourself to be here. And I say this so that we don't get too caught up in the idea that mindfulness is a technique.
mindfulness is a also a recognition of that awareness which is already here that operates with us without us doing there's a way in which to be aware can be an allowing allowing the system to be aware to know to register to attend to what is here So when the Buddha gave instructions for mindfulness meditation, the first thing he said was establish mindfulness, establish awareness. And so as we begin this sitting, you might give a little bit of focus to your posture and gently closing your eyes. And take a few moments to see if you can establish a posture that is both relaxed enough, but also expresses through the body being aware, being somehow alert. It might involve sitting a little bit straighter with your spine, more upright than you normally would, so that your spine itself feels kind of alert, aware. And then taking a few moments to relax. Perhaps softening around the face. Allowing your eyes to be quiet. If your jaws are tense, you might drop open your mouth and then very gently let your lips float back together. Taking a few moments to soften in the belly. To allow the belly to kind of fall forward and settle downward. And we often begin retreats by giving a fair amount of attention to breathing it's a way of helping us arrive here, settle into here, a way of slowly settling the thinking mind, by not staying focused on our thoughts, but letting your focus be the body breathing. And so that you're not focusing on the breath from the control tower up in the head, it can be helpful to feel or sense what the breathing feels like in the body. How does the body experience breathing? What is the movements in the body as you breathe?
Where in your body do you feel the breathing most clearly? Where do you feel the movements or the sensations? In a way that is clearest or most enjoyable to be present for. And as Max said yesterday, to be content with this moment of experience the breathing. Here, now, this moment. Again and again, keeping awareness of breathing open Keeping the senses in your body open to allow yourself to feel the rhythm of breathing in and breathing out as it's experienced in the body. If there's a lot of thinking, see if you can relax the thinking muscle. The place inside where there might be tension or pressure, contraction, associated with the effort to think, the involvement with thinking. Softening the thinking muscle. And allowing for the awareness which is in your body to experience breathing. Here, here there is a body that's breathing in and breathing out. Remembering to have the mind in the same place as the body, perhaps both of them meeting in the experience of breathing. be quiet 
So you can you can just have body and mind meet in the breathing. In the silence. In the silence of this room.
So I'll say a few words, some announcements, and, and then I'll give uh, instructions for walking meditation. And then later in the morning at around 11 o'clock, we'll have a time for and kind of instructions on meditation posture at the second walking period. And um, if you've never received instructions for walk for for um, sitting posture, whether it's in the chair or on the floor, I encourage you to stay. Um, and uh, or if you're relatively new, and so the idea of recognizing this simple fact that we're here. And sometimes in recognizing we're here, we experience, we feel, we become aware of how it is to be here. And part of the art of mindfulness is to learn how not to be in conflict with what's here. not to get contracted or aversive or reactive to it, not to be bothered. And one of the common areas that people get bothered in the beginning, first day of the retreat, is um, how much their mind is thinking. Because we often bring along with us our everyday concerns or deeper issues, and sometimes surprising what comes up and we start thinking about and get preoccupied with and spin out with, they get lost in the thoughts and fantasies and ideas. And um, the art of it is to recognize that, of course, this is what goes on for many people on the first day of retreat. Uh, there's a lot of momentum that we bring with us from our lives and it doesn't just stop by sitting down. And uh, if we're bothered by it, or get upset by it, or disappointed by it, or have expectations that should be different, uh, there's a marvelous way in which that just reinforces the thinking. And you know, the, the more you're bothered, more you're upset by the fact your mind is thinking, paradoxically it becomes a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. Just like, I shouldn't be thinking, and that's a thought. <laughs> No, no longer, not only is it a thought, but it's often a thought that has so much momentum or strength to it, kind of, that it kind of fuels more thinking. And I've been in situations where, you know, it, I kind of dug my own grave in meditating, where I was so upset with myself thinking that, that the more I tried to stop thinking and let go and get rid of it, the more I would think. And so I tried harder. And the more, you know, just got to be, you know, I was just like, finally I just kind of collapsed and gave up. And then my mind got quiet. So the idea is, the art of it is not to be bothered. And at the same time, not to be swept away in it, not to kind of stay interested or stay caught up in your thoughts, but in a gentle way, um, maybe a committed way, to begin again with your breathing. And the breathing in the, bo at the body and the body breathing, uh, it's nice on the first day or so of the retreat to think of it as the ballast of a boat. Uh, the ballast is the kind of the heavy part of the keel or the lower part of the boat that um, keeps the boat from tipping over too far. It might sway a little bit in the waves and the wind, but uh, it doesn't, you know, without that strong ballast, heavy ballast, the boat could easily tip over. So uh, we kind of stay, there's all kinds of winds and waves that come along with thoughts and emotions. And uh, we have this uh, weight or this ballast of staying with the breathing that keeps us from being knocked over or swept, swept to sea or something by our thoughts. And it, not rejecting thoughts or being aversive to it, but it's the ballast for staying here. It's the ballast for being present and so to keep coming back to the ballast, keeping being with the breathing, and the mind will wander off, and um, it's best not to be bothered by it, 
It's okay, that's kind of say that's what the mind does. But don't keep feeding it or, or encouraging it by staying involved in your thinking. Just begin again with your breathing. Gently let go of your thoughts. Or sometimes it's possible to let your thoughts recede to the background. And they kind of can do whatever they do in the background and it's not your business. And in the foreground, is your, your business is to stay with your breathing and stay here in a more kind of vital way of being present. And this idea of having a ballast <clears throat> for the big first day is important because for many people, the first day um, doesn't go as we had counted on. As, uh, often the first day, pe some people come here with expectations and ideas that this is the day to kind of really be focused and concentrated and just really kind of blissed out, I don't know what, but... And then the first day is often the body aches. People are surprised by how much new, new aches or some people in the first day will get headaches in an unexpected way. And some people find that um, unexpected emotions will surface and arise. Finally, they have a chance, sitting quietly. Some people get exceptionally tired the first day, maybe for good reason, maybe for no reason that we can understand, and it's part of the first day. Some people, the mind is just too, you know, the thinking mind just seems to be, I know you can power the California electrical grid with, you know, the whole grid with the amount of energy that goes into thinking. It's just so strong the first day. And um, so, however the first day is, be gracious uh, to find out how to say here, this is what, here, this is what it's like. Here is a mind that's out of control. This is what it's like. And there's something about the here, the simple recognition of this is what's happening, is in fact a little bit of freedom from what's happening. And that freedom counts for a lot. So not being bothered by, by it, by saying, oh, it's like this. And a little bit, there's a, then a movement towards settling in, a little bit movement towards not being caught, to starting to be here and be present in a fuller way. The first day, it's often good to take a nap after lunch. It's often good to be very generous to yourself with all the different things that come along. And, um, and realize that it's just the beginning of the journey. And many journeys are often a little bit, you know, challenging as we start. My first solo backpacking trip in the mountains of these mountains, Santa Cruz Mountains. They began with a steep climb and I was not ready. But then, after the steep climb of I don't know how many hours, then it became easier. So does anyone have any questions you'd like to ask about being here now that you've been here overnight or something in anything about the instructions or how we're how things are unfold? Yes, please. Thank you, Chris. So uh, those of you who have an 11 o'clock work period, pot washing and kitchen prep and stuff like that. If, um, if you would like to stay for the posture instruction, uh, is, uh, that's fine, the kitchen understands, they'll, they'll accommodate you. Please come to the posture instruction. So stay for it. Sorry? Oh yes, yeah, so it, it may be when we stop now for uh, the walking period, if those of you who do have an 11 o'clock work period, if you can just let, leave a note for the kitchen so they know you're not going to be there. That way it's easier for them to 
take that into account. So, um, a few announcements. Later in the, in the, probably in the late morning, uh, we'll post a, um, two sheets of paper on the door going into the dining room, th that right-hand door, uh, where you can sign up for practice discussion, uh, the 15-minute meetings with one of the three of us teachers. And um, there'll be enough spots for everyone to sign up for one meeting either tomorrow or the next day, Tuesday or Wednesday. And then we'll set up, put up another two sheets for the following two days later. And, um, and so make sure, sign up for a time when it doesn't really, con doesn't conflict with your work meditation or bell ringing. And uh, it's usually kind of nice for people who are new to retreats to sign up for the first day, just we check in early, so tomorrow. And, um, and there'll be uh, opportunities to meet with all three of us. Tomorrow I'll have uh, just a few slots because I have to be gone for a little part of the day. So, um, so you'll see there's a difference between how many each of us is. But after that I'll be here and can do the full amount. And then this evening, uh, the first walking period this evening at 7.15, uh, we invite any of, the, any of you who are new to retreats or are newish, and you can decide if you're newish. Mm -hmm. um, if you would like to uh, come up here, and we'll have an informal kind of chat up here, uh, just about your first day, your questions, your comments, how it was for you. And um, so if you're new, that's a chance to kind of check in and follow up on how it is. And then uh, we'll just do that. For, we have about 20 minutes for that. Yes? So the way the pattern is going to be is that most of you, half of you, or most of you, will have opportunity for two meetings. These, uh, for the three of us, one, with, you know, with, with two total. Uh, for that's for uh, Tuesday through Friday. Saturday is a, a more open day, and we'll offer sign-up interviews then. But we can't offer enough for everyone, so there's a chance for about half of you to get a third meeting, and we kind of uh, encourage it to be for people who um, live farther, further away, don't usually have a chance to meet with a teacher, um, give them the first opportunities. Because some people are close to here and can meet with Max or I, and even Mel kind of in Berkeley or something. And um, so, um, and so that you seems to usually work out well that way. So, um, and if you, um, you know, uh, it's best if you don't sign up for the same teacher twice. So that way everyone can actually, about half the people can do see each of us. Um, is that clear? Yeah. Okay. And then, um, so in terms of caring for each other, caring for the community, um, you know, we have these shower hours, which means that uh, because the, sh the showers go, go on, they can wake people up. So we don't actually, uh, the showers begin at, um, you know, can take after five after the wake-up bell at 5:30, but uh, there's also a nice idea of having sink hours, because it turns out that the sinks that we have, if they get turned on, you know, in the middle of the night or some too early in the morning, uh, the pipes, the way the water goes through the pipes, they also can wake up people in neighboring rooms. So uh, we ask if you would be really careful with also not turning on the the water in your sink um, before the shower hours. Um, and so if you, all you're doing is, you know, getting a glass of water, perhaps you can have that prepared the night before. Or if it's easy enough for you, like if you're trying to refresh in your face after waking up early and going to sit, uh, you can go to one of the public uh, bathrooms, just away from the bedroom so that uh, we don't, those pipes don't st stir up. And it's so, so helpful to, uh, some people sleep very lightly and it's nice to kind of, we're all supported when Everyone sleeps well. Yes. Is the bathroom water drinkable? Yes. The bathroom water is drinkable. <clears throat> yes. Is, is flushing water 
flushing an issue that way too. Splashing? Flushing the toilet. Oh, flushing. Yeah. I've never heard anybody say that. Mm. Um, but you know, uh, we don't, uh, f usually we try not to flush the pee here. You know, you know, unless it's filling up too much. And then probably if it's poop, you should flush it. And, you know, the trade-off issue. What other intimate things should we talk about? <laughs> <laughs> intimate thing to be on retreat together. Thank you very much. So I want to say a few things about um, walking meditation. Um, you know, being present, being here for our experience. Um, the goal is to be able to do it in all activities, in all times, not just in sitting. And, um, and uh, to do so in walking meditation has some advantages. Uh, one advantage is it's Sometimes it's a little bit closer to how we live our ordinary life. We do some walking around. So it's kind of beginning to not just learn how to be present in this posture here, but also to, um, in something that looks a little bit more like ordinary life. So it's a nice thing to cultivate and develop. It also works very well as a, as a way of bringing into balance some of the psychophysical factors within us that should be ideally in balance as we go through um, a retreat practice. So for example, if all we did was sit all day and nothing else, probably after a while we get lethargic and kind of, kind of a little draining. And so the walking tends to bring more energy back up. And so that energy comes back to the sitting. And, but if all we did was walk all the time, we'd probably get a little bit too energized. And, um, and so then we'd probably, that wouldn't be so supportive, so we sit. And so those two kind of, that energy and calm kind of come into balance in the body. And there's other factors as well that kind of come into balance for different people in different ways uh, by going back and forth. And they also kind of, um, there's something about uh, the rhythm of changing what we do that um, helps us not get stagnated, stagnant or helps refresh us in terms of um, uh, kind of renewing the, the practice of mindfulness. So, we sit for a while and then we get renewed in a new way by walking and walk for a while and then get to kind of start fresh and in the in the sitting and back and forth. It's very useful to do. And the practice of walking meditation goes back to the Buddha uh, and probably before him from the records we seem to have. So it's a, you know, time-honored practice. And it's as valid to do walking meditation as it is to do sitting practice. They're both of them are comparable in their importance of doing this practice. For some people, as it was for me, the walking meditation was an acquired taste. And so I, I didn't take to it easily or I didn't enjoy it at first. And, and, um, and so, um, um, so, but it was acquired by doing it. And so just because, you know, you don't like doing it, um, it's like, you know, it's true that walking meditation doesn't work if you don't do it. <laughs> so, um, you know, so maybe, so, so it's worth acquiring it because we do so much walking, many of us, that just ordinary in our life, that it's really a wonderful thing to get a sense of how to be present that way. You know. And um, The other thing about walking meditation, before I give the specific instructions for it, is that um, the continuity of practice is really important on retreat, so that you don't interrupt yourself a lot with doing a new activity, new activity. What it means is that, you know, you, you get up to do walking meditation, and two minutes into it you decide to get to go pee. And you come back to your walking meditation, and five minutes later you say, this is a good time for, for having tea. Then you come back and do another 10 minutes of walking meditation and say, well, you know, I need to take a break. And then you come back for another little bit and then you're ready to pee again or something. You know, so there's no continuity. So it's best to take care of all the personal needs you have at the beginning and the end of the walking period so you have as continuous time as possible to do it. And the, uh, there's many ways of doing walking meditation. And, um, and so 
the idea here is that we're a little bit becoming our own teacher and finding out the way that um, is most supportive for us to arrive here, to be here in a clear way and not being caught up in our thoughts or easily lost, but to um, kind of really have a heightened sense of presence, awareness here in our experience. And um, so generally, it's good to find, a, this is the classic instructions, is to find a walkway a path that's about uh, 15 or 20 paces long and, um, and uh, allows you to go back and forth. And then uh, in a very simple way, in an ordinary way, there's no special way of walking. Uh, some people try to exaggerate their steps as a way of really getting into it and being present. And I'd encourage you to walk in a completely natural way, just so it's nothing and also to walk in a relatively uh, ordinary uh, pace at first, kind of maybe a little bit slower than maybe a street walking pace. Just something that feels uh, comfortable for you or uh, engaging for you or, you know, it just feels a right to you to pace that you walk. And, um, and then at first, just begin walking back and forth and you know, just in a simple, gentle way, uh, kind of begin settling into your body, relaxing your mind, uh, softening your awareness. Um, so that you kind of enter into a kind of a more embodied sense of presence, embodied awareness, and so be kind of being here with your whole body. And then, um, and then begin to settle your attention into the, that, that which is, um, you know, the biggest movement as you walk. And the biggest movement tends to be that of the feet and the lower legs. And there's a rhythm there, that of uh, lifting and placing each foot, and the next one lifting and moving, that uh, is, um, functions a little bit like the rhythm of breathing and when we do sitting meditation. There's something about when we focus and concentrate on a rhythm of something, something that oscillates or alternates, it's actually easier to develop a nice, soft concentration than it is if we're focusing attention on something that's unmoving and fixed. So we're kind of tr seeing if we can develop a kind of uh, presence, awareness, uh, uh, in the feet with the f with the, the rhythm of the steps walking, and so we're settling into there, and um, and as you do the walking back and forth, it's usually best to keep the eyes down to about 45 degrees, so you see where you're walking, and also so you're not pulled into the sights around you so easily, since you have your eyes open, and then um, um, and um, you know, and you can have your hands in any posture you like. Um, the Zen posture, which kind of helps a little bit more sense of presence and dignity is to have your hands together and kind of in front of your solar plexus or just below it. Um, um, but uh, you can have it in your pockets, you can have your hands straight down or behind your back or anything that feels comfortable for you. The, um, um, and then uh, as you walk back and forth, if you're walking kind of fast, you know, then Sometimes it's, you can just pivot when you come to the end and then you know, walk back and forth that way. But if you're walking uh, slow, it's actually nice to come to the end of your path and stop, turn around, stop, and then begin again. And what that stopping does, uh, because the, the walking has been interrupted, it also is a chance for you to notice that you've been thinking nonstop. Um, you know, it's kind of like the moment to check in, because it's easy for the thinking to sneak in and. And, uh, and then you can start again. And also, um, the idea, the goal of being mindful the whole walking period is just too ambitious. Uh, I think it's much, more bet much better to have short goals like this, like um, can you be mindful and be present for each step for w one pass, you know, going the 15, 20 steps or something, and then make the same intention as you go back. And if that's all too amb ambitious, can you manage to be as present as you can for two steps and then reestablish the intention for the next two steps? Just kind of in small, small dosages sometimes, you know, it's more realistic and keep coming back, keep coming back, remembering to come back. Uh, sometimes it can be helpful uh, to use the thinking mind to um, support you to be present rather than have the thinking mind carry you away. Sometimes an idle mind will get in trouble. So uh, if you give the thinking mind a little something to do, it's, you know, maybe it's content and it doesn't wander off so easily. And the thing that we give it to do is called mental noting. And that is to use a one word 
label for what you're being attentive to. So if you're being with the steps, you might just say stepping. Stepping. It's a very soft, gentle, calm little voice in the back of the mind that's encouraging you just to be there with the step. Be present for that. Stepping. Or if you're walking slow, some people will say the word lifting and placing as, the, as you lift and place the foot. And the same thing with the you know, footnote is to the, the sitting meditation. Some people find that it's very helpful to have a very simple one-word note for that as well. It could be um, in as you breathe in, out as you breathe out, or rising as the chest or belly rise, falling as it, you breathe out. And um, there's a very simple thing to keep you on track and keep going. So with walking, you know, to make that simple you know, word maybe keeps you present. And, uh, and the pace that you walk is really up to you, as I said. But there is a tendency for people, as they kind of get into the walking, maybe in the course of the walking period, to find that it's nice to slow down and walk slower and slower. It gives kind of intimacy or kind of, kind of entering into the world of, of the walking more and more. If, um, but sometimes people find that walking really fast is helpful. If there's a lot of energy, a lot of emotions that are, are coming through, Sometimes um, those emotions and energies are better kind of easier to be present for them and just kind of allow them to flow and just be there with them um, when we're walking fast. And um, my teacher in Burma, when he did walking meditation, it was like power walking. Hmm. You know, some people would have to run to, if they wanted to f keep pace with him. He was so f actually so fast. And, um, and uh, once or twice I've done it that way because of the amount of emotions that were suddenly being released or in my practice. If you want to walk that fast, then go out in the parking lot, kind of away from people, just so that uh, you don't frighten the people, you know. <laughs> if you do the little walking hall here, you know. It's so the, the room here to the to the right is the walking meditation hall, and we walk the short distance, uh, the width of the hall, so that more people can get in there. And you're welcome to walk in the hallways or in the community room downstairs where we met the opening. Um, the decks are the big, what we call the forest deck, that big deck out there and the parking lot. And there's a, a walking paths in the garden, different places around the property. So um, different places you can go. And, um, you know, and the last thing I'll say about walking meditation it is kind of a sensory awareness exercise in that uh, we're trying to allow the awareness that comes when we sense and feel the experience of the body to kind of become more predominant, to kind of really rest there, to develop some focus there, or to support us uh, as a kind of a ballast so we don't kind of float away in our thoughts and all that. And then as we have, as we kind of arrive and get more focused here, then the, as the, over the days the instructions will open up and include more aspects of our experience, because all aspects of our experience are equally valid for our, to be here and be present for in this practice way that we do. But it's, uh, for most people, it tends to be easier at the beginning to keep it simple, breathing in the sitting, the simple steps as we walk in the beginning, and, um, and let that be kind of the help the thinking mind um, relax, the thinking muscle relax and soften, so it's not just a factory to keep producing more and more thoughts and um, take us away. So is that, uh, any questions about walking meditation that you'd like to ask? Clear enough? And, um, yes? When I was taught to walk, um, the person who taught me walked extremely slow. So that by lifting one foot up, you're literally balancing on the other foot. And the reason for that was you had to stay present or you'd fall over. <laughs> so any thoughts on whether that's a good way to practice? Yeah, uh, I think, uh, m myself, I think it's much better to walk in a natural way. Um, because we're not trying to use any extra help. We're trying to f discover how to be ordinary and simple. 
and uh, and uh, and not rely on something that's extraordinary, like you know, doing a little bit of walking gymnastics. And so, it, it, and it's possible to get more concentrated more quickly in the way you described. Um, but it's actually in the long term, I think that uh, the kind of concentration, the kind of presence that we cultivate, and, um, when we just walk, to f- discover how to be in a natural way is I think much more useful. So that's why I suggest, I wouldn't suggest that slow. In the golden age of when I was young, <laughs> there used to be competitive walking, was to see who could walk the slowest. And you'd look in the meditation walking hall, and it's like, are they even moving? <laughs> um, there's no need to compete. And, uh, or there is, if the only competition that's really worthwhile is see who can be first to get into the present moment. <laughs> and then what's nice about that is we all win. Yes? What are your thoughts on uh, walking meditation inside versus outside? Sometimes outside there's more things to distract us. Uh, uh, and so it's, sometimes it's easier to stay focused and do it inside. On the other hand, some people find that they really need to get, get out of the building and into some place that kind of breaks somehow the, you know, some people feel get claustrophobic or claustrophobic in their own mind even. And so going outside kind of opens things up in a nice way. And so then their presence is much more useful and, you know, and they settle in in a more softer, more relaxed, full way and rather than tension building. So I think each person is going to find a different way to, to do it. And uh, generally as the retreat goes along, people find that they, if they want to do walking in a simpler and simpler ways. Just keep it really simple and, and um, sometimes not even, you know, go very far from the meditation hall, just do it nearby. It's helpful for all of us if we um, don't use the walking hall uh, or the meditation hall for uh, anything else besides sitting here, meditation, like no exercise in here, like people like to do yoga or something, or to do it in the walking hall. Um, and just to keep the kind of the dissociation, the focus on either walking there and sitting here. And then finally, um, I realize, as I said, that people often sleepy the first day. Uh, an option that you all have is that during the sitting, if you're really sleepy a lot, um, uh, you're welcome to quietly stand and do standing meditation. Do the same practice, but do it standing, and uh, maybe with your eyes open. And sometimes standing brings just enough energy, um, or just enough fear about falling, and that uh, that uh, you know it's more more useful a way of being present. Than just nodding off. So I hope you enjoy your day and thank you.